0: Hi, welcome to the London Magazine podcast. I'm Lucy. And today, not only do we have one really great guest with us, but we also have a new member of the London Magazine team. Hi, Jamie.
1: Hi, lovely to, to meet you all over the medium of podcast.
0: <laughs> Welcome. How have you been finding your time with the London Magazine have, so far? I
1: have only positive things to say, Just but kidding. whether that whether that remains the case at the end of the recording of this podcast, we'll uh, see. Time say, will yeah. tell. Yeah.
0: Today we're chatting with Max Wilkinson, whose brilliant new work, Death of a Go-Go Driver, features in our February-March issue. Hi Max, how, how are you today?
2: I'm very good. Yeah, very good. Thank you for having me.
0: Max is a playwright and screenwriter, fascinated with characters trying to navigate an increasingly absurd world. His award-winning play Rainer, about a voyeuristic delivery rider, played at the Arcola Theatre last summer and is being produced for a BBC Radio 4's Afternoon Play slot. He also teaches screenwriting at the Met Film School. Death of a Go-Go Driver is part of a new triptych play, Ghost City, which will be staged later this year. Max, we'd love to invite you now to do a reading.
2: So, Death the Go Go Driver, so like Raina, which is about a delivery rider, um, so she's cycling. Death the Go Go is part of a triptych play called Go City. There's about three kind of gig workers. And one is, uh, yeah, Jack Steelitz, who's a go go driver. And then one is a carer uh, who works for a dreadful a uh, privatised, caring home care company. And then the other um, is a waiter, or like caterer. And yeah, and they're three stories that interweave and in London and sort of some redemptive, some sort of tragic. But it's like rain. It's basically individual sort of striving for individualism in a system gig economy that basically stifles that. So yeah, this is the beginning of um, Ghost City. The Old Kent Road, London, Christmas Eve. An ambulance light blinks on a busy junction as, near a wrecked car, its bonnet crushed and smouldering, the body of Jack Steelitz lies broken. On his face, though, is an expression of peace. Reva Singh, the waitress, enters beside Jack's body in a rain mac. Jack Steelitz died on December 24th, Christmas Eve, on the Old Kent Road, between the big Aldi and the bricklayer's arms. He died quickly, apparently, the ambulance crew agreed, as they pumped his body full of air and blood and everything else. What they couldn't agree upon was that the time of his death was something that happened after. Some of the crew said it was the flashing lights of the big Aldi, broken and frenetic. Some said it was the blue glow from the twice-reformed Ethiopian church from across the street where the singing came from, its sign quietly illuminating the flecks of ash that rose slowly from the bonnet of his car. But some from the ambulance crew, and they swore by it, some, they believe that without a doubt it snowed that night, just for a minute. It snowed gently above the broken body of Jack Steelitz as he lay on the old Kent Road, and they pumped him full of air. On Christmas Eve, they told their families, excitedly, as they returned that night to warm kitchens at the end of their shift. It snowed on Christmas Eve, but no mention of Jack, no mention in the papers as they all rose Christmas Day, to turkey and couches and carrots and children screaming happily, and nothing in the days to come. But, whether it was known or not, his death and the events leading up to it, was the first stone thrown that caused an avalanche and a storm. Anyway, I'll let him tell you himself, because back in summer, Jack was very much alive. Heavy old rock and roll music plays, Jack steel its body, convulses and shakes and slowly becomes unbroken as he rises up from the stage and dances to the music, very much alive and driving for go-go cars. Anyway, I'll let him tell you himself. Reva the waitress disappears. Yeah, don't let him tell you it's crap working for go-go cars, because it's not. It's a dream. All that stuff that came after? It was a technical glitch. And although I'm bitter, it's hard to remember on nights like this. What was it? Saturday. Perched in Peckham and the pub slowly fill. Lads and ladies post-hummus and fa- horny as fuck. All smiley and sweet, forgetting the week, ready for fun in the last of the heat. Wide-eyed art kids, Doc Martind and Dreamy, all heading east. It must be terrible working for a company like this, they squeak from the back earnest as fuck. You must get terrible tips, exploited by the system. Yeah, and all the drunk wankers you have to deal with. You'll be my drunk wankers soon, don't you worry kids. Or still high, mumbling, blue-faced as we cross Lambeth Bridge. Or a sinking sensation of Monday coming in, and student loans and the state of the world as it is. But let's not get bleak. Thanks Jack, thank you so much. Right now it's shit lager and smiles and sorted for ease and whiz. Who sang that? Jarvis Cocker, 1995. Yeah, that's where I draw the line. Music. You see them pile in. Hello matey, can I put my jack in? Or turn it to Kiss or Bumfuck FM. Fuck that. It's my tunes or the highway matey. I don't care if you rate me down. Music is where I draw the line. My mother raised me well. Like once I was driving down the A406. Going home in a stream of white and blue. London all ambient and covers delight. So I whipped on the Blade Runner soundtrack. Don't mind if I do. When these fucking... You are right, mate? These fucking lads pile in North Finchley in a cloud of smoke and red eyes. Safe, yeah, safe. Stink up my car with a lemon diesel haze and going to, yeah, East Century, please, mate. Fuck's sake. Yeah, safe, safe, safe. So they get in. They hear the Vangelis. They go silent. I start to wince. Then the little one chirps up. Wait, bruv, what's this? Oh, here we go. What's this, bruv? It's fuck. It's the Blade Runner soundtrack. Vangelis, you probably won't know it. Then they go silent. But then the other one goes, man, is Bear sick? And I smile and we laugh as I ride them home, very slowly down the Muswell Hill Road. Those are the quiet times, time to reflect, not like now. Right now there's money to be made, so I snarl up the West End, as it's 11 o'clock for the theatre crowds and post in a lot. You're doing great, Jack. Thank you, Hallie. The GoGo app chirps up, and Hallie, my beloved algorithm, who gives me the jobs and showers me with stars. You've nearly made £100. You're doing great. I call her Hallie after Hal from 2001, Space Odyssey. Get it? Keep going, Jack. Right. So anyway, outside some battered bookshop near Denmark Street, this couple trots out, holding a copy of some bookish scene, full of sweet words and crap wine and perfectly satisfied they've had a good time. East Dulwich, please. She screams, as if I don't already have it up on my screen. And then they sink into the back and start to snuggle. Oh, God. Now, look, I don't mind snogging or grope in the back, but happy couple very much in love. Now that gets my goat. I love you. I love you, baby. Oh, God, shoot me in the mouth. And then she gets frisky. She shuffles up to him close to his ear and whispers so sweetly. When we get back, yeah, when we get back, I'm going to sit on your face. Oh, pardon. but That's not me. It's Macy in the back, well perturbed, almost losing his cool and his red beanie hat. What? I, I, I don't. He stutters as his eyes flicker around. What? Don't you don't you want me to? No, I do. I just what? I just don't. I just don't like it flung on me. Flung on you. It's a figure of speech. It's not the face hugger from Alien Sam. I'm not suggesting it's the face hugger from Alien Emily. Fucking hell. She cr- collapses into folded arms. I wasn't saying that, but no, the arms are folded like London Bridge coming down. And a moody silence sets in all the way back down south. And as I deposit them outside their beautiful house, there'll be no face sitting for Sam tonight or anything else.
0: Thank you, Max. That was a really impressive one man show. <laughs> you yeah, also um, did a redoing at our launch event I did. a few weeks back. Yeah. Very similar. And it went down a storm,
2: I'd yeah, say. That was cr- yeah. It mm. was quite fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't normally do it. I it's normally obviously actors do it. So um it was fun at the event to do yeah. a whole one man sort of cabaret.
0: How is it then, actually reading your work? As you said, it's it, you usually see other people mm. doing it. How is it then when you actually yourself read it?
2: I really enjoy it. I used to be in a really um, crap band. Well, we yeah, we we got a bit better anyway. But I, I like I like performing, and I was a singer and stuff. I do miss I do miss that, and I did a bit of acting in. Um, so you know, I didn't like enough to actually pursue it. I wasn't that good, but I like I like it. I enjoy it. So that was really fun. Mm. When you asked me to do that, I actually enjoyed it a lot.
0: You know, part of your work I really love is the the capturing of these different characters and Mm. the different types of people that you come across in London and that are instantly recognisable, I think, to people who have lived in London for a while. Yeah, You know, the stoners from North Finchley, there's the upper class, East Dulwich, yeah, there's, because I, I feel with London it is it's this vast city, but then you you do have these like smaller villages almost. Yeah, so, exactly. Of the different areas, yeah. I, yeah, exactly.
2: I yeah, and I don't think any cities really like that. You just sort of a collection of villages that was sort of filled in, and then obviously it was just bombed to hell in the war, and then building all this council housing in between those bomb sites. So, so you you don't there's no city like a major city like that that you get this cheek by jowl. Existence—that's why it's fascinating. Whereas Paris was not, you know, bombed obviously, and it had a quite ruthless system of sort of keeping its Mm. poor outside the Escargot. You know, whereas London—and it wasn't even a moral thing. It wasn't like let's do this kind of. I mean, there was lots of different reasons, but it was from necessity. They just, you know, and they had to build a lot of council housing, which is great, but they had to build it next to Penthouse and next to the Kensington Piles and stuff like that. So you don't—you get this crazy con- it's just endless contrast in london and yeah you know and i, I think that's always all these characters and go go and stuff i'm um, um, and all the diversity it's just observing but also just people i've met really i think my family are very very big mixed bag as well so you sort of get a lot of characters through that there's this guy it's a sort of friend of friends he he was saying to a friend because she was talking about this and he was like just sit on the bus and record people you know, your conversations and things, you know, like the, the working class. you know, I was like, that's so creepy and exploitative. I was like, no, you don't, you know, so it's more like every writer and artist is this sort of bit of a loner in a way. And they're a bit of an obsessive voyeur and people watcher. It just depends what degree you are. So like, I am most happy on top of a bus or cycling around and noticing things. So, but no, it's hard. It's the same thing of, especially, you know, stage, if you write character you know, and then they come see it, and then there's all these references you forget about, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> like that's them, you know, um, and it might be quite disparaging or something like that. But people, you'd be amazed at what people people never notice really. They rarely notice themselves on on the stage, so that's uh, that's good. But you've got to be careful about that. It's nerve wracking, sure,
1: yeah. So yeah, having touched on the people of London, I think it's yeah. not just the people, it's, it's the atmosphere of the place as well. And I know you mentioned Old Kent Road as being a kind of spiritual lifeline for mm. South London. And as someone who's lived on the Old Kent Road for a couple of years, it is, it's a place where you can certainly find a lot of different aspects of London and different aspects of life. Yeah. What did you mean by kind of spiritual lifeline?
2: Okay, it sounds quite pretentious. I think when I read it again, I was like, oh, "That sounds," but it, 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 yeah, it felt like me because I think, because um, again, with all these jobs, especially in the in my twenties, when because I didn't, I didn't, I went to art school and I always thought I was going to do something with film or even just be an, an artist or something mm-hmm. like that. And I got into theatre quite late, and I I started making these weird plays in art school, and that was okay. They let me do these weird plays, but I didn't know anything about theatre really, and I um I had to sort of work from the Ground up from leaving uni and just sort of learn everything really. So I spent all my time sort of writing, getting better, and then um, just doing all these jobs. So I would, and I lived in New Cross, and these jobs were always in you know the centre of town or something. So either bars or like yeah delivery riding or crewing or something like that. But it was mostly in the in the centre. So I would go at you know night two a.m. You'd take the night bus back on the old Kent road or, or cycle on it or even walk if you've got a flat tire or something like that and I just found out I spent so much of my life just going up and down like at least every day I'd, I'd go up and down the road once you know it's a sort of beautiful horrible place you know and it,
1: it's kind <laughs> that's of, a very accurate way of
2: describing it yeah it, it has beauty and horror oh, in equal it's, measure, yeah. and it's brilliant you sort of learn it at different times and it's sort of it's a kind of spectrum of of things as well and you learn like on a Monday that's when they I think that all, all the chemical dumps around Rotherhide, or something, all the <laughs> all, all the big rubbish dumps, they're going to like fill those up, and that's the garbage day. Yeah. So it would stink. It would that, and on a hot day on that on the garbage day, it would just be rotten, you know. Mm. And there'd always be a new smell or a new. Toys R Us or something like that. Or a new chicken shop to. or something like that. Or a new <laughs> chicken shop, yeah. Or you know, it have everywhere all that little cow surgery or like like the men and like outside the cafes and in, in the sort of more north bit. And I just I loved it as a road. I loved it, you
1: know. Well, I think it's got a lot of the you know, we we're talking about characters earlier. I think Old Kent Road has a claim to have the kind of North Finchley type stoners that you talked about <laughs> in Death <laughs> of Driver. Yeah. It's definitely got some at least adjacent kind of middle class theatre type people, a lot of art yeah. students who live there. Yeah. It's got Local, proper locals, it has all these different types of people who come together yeah. in quite a, an interesting, dynamic way, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. And the Old Kent Road the Spiritual Lifeline kind of thing, it would be like, you do all these jobs, you'd be out all night, blah, 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 and then you'd ride back, you'd get to the end of it, and that and the bridge of New Cross, and you'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm home now. So that's spiritual, that's what it kind of meant. It felt like a sort of portal to, by the end, you were in South London, I felt.
1: It's interesting that of all the places on Old Kent Road, the one where you set this scene of the the death of jack mm. is bricklayer's arms which is such a nothing place because it's just kind of this concrete <laughs> roundabout where you have yeah. the way to you know you've got bermondsey going one way london yeah. bridge going another you've got towards peckham and down mm. old kent road the other why why there why was that the place where you picked of everywhere on I, on old kent road
2: you know yeah i because I, it's 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 sort of i think it's like a six carriage way or something like that it's yeah, really it's, busy it's, it's, and it was, uh, and I saw an accident again on the bus and it was this guy, well it was the, the aftermath of an accident mm. and it was glass all over the floor and the ambulance was just sort of clearing up and going and it was a sort of haunted after image of, of something quite horrible and that inspired the, the first image of Gogo.
1: So it was based on a, it was based on a, yeah, like it was based, like based on that, that
2: kind of image, yeah, which sort of kickstarted the thing. Um, but there were always accidents there really yeah. you know and I'd be there and again because I, I was always riding there and I always thought like I bet I'll just I bet I'll somehow have an accident here mm. and they'll finally just you know was my sort of you I mean, know a, pre- a
1: premonition of your premonition uh, yeah. yeah yeah and I just always thought this is where I'm going to die obviously just to talk a bit about Rainer <laughs> as well your, yeah. your, your play that you staged was at the Arcola last last year mm. I read the the script which is published by Bloomsbury as a nice little plug for you um, thank you yeah. <laughs> And I think there's there's something really interesting about reading a script when you haven't seen it staged, When you can kind of understand what the person who wrote it really wants to focus on. Mm, mm. And something that I was very interested by is the way that you spoke about music, Mm, and you were mm. very specific about it. I mean, to quote you here in the stage directions, you talk about needing it to be this kind of simulate. Rainer's constant frenetic movement across the city Mm. and then specifically said that you'd recommend a style of of a blend of euphoric and sinister electronic music Mm. with ghostly echoes of old nostalgic jazz and and soul songs and then artists like Burial, Aphex Twin, Nina Simone, Mm. Ghostbox, the, the label were references. I would obviously love to chat about some of those specific artists and their relationship to your writing in a second but first of all why was it so important You to to write this stuff into the actual script Mm. because I also know that you mentioned to me uh, off mic that when it came to the actual staging of the play, you weren't able to get any of that stuff. You know, no, no.
2: Obviously, love music, and when I'm writing these scenes, I'll I'll be thinking of music and and the the soundtrack and the tunes and stuff like that. Um, and I'll and I'll I'll put them into the script just just to give them the director or the production company or the sound designer like the flavour of what you of what you want. Mm But to the point, I think the sound guy was slightly annoyed. He was like, why have you put all... This? No, he's just like, oh, I've never seen this before. It's so specific, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I didn't mean... Because what you do in theatre, like getting the license for all those tunes, that's why none of it was in there.
1: I so. mean, AFX Twin is notoriously not the kind of bloke who'd be like... Yeah, no, yeah, like no, burial, think, you know. I, I think he still also, lives yeah. with his mum,
2: you know. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. and then he just in a basement in South London or something like mm. that. Like, he doesn't, you know... He's a really notoriously hermit people. So you'd never get them anyway, but also to to license all of that stuff would be so expensive to get a performance because you've got to pay them and get the license so what i do normally is like you you just get that flavor in and then you get this sound engineer sound designer you know we had a really great one for he's really talented and he he made a soundscape for it knowing exactly what we kind of yeah wanted so it was that gloomy sinister euphoric burial-esque yeah, yeah. i hope burial's not,
1: not wouldn't get annoyed with me <laughs> if you find me or something like that but um well, I mean, he is the he is the arguably the quintessential South London artist. I mean, yeah, yeah. He has tracks like Night Bus in oh, McDonald's. Yeah. These are yeah. exactly the experiences of the characters totally. in your in your plays. Like, yeah, is it is music a way into them? Because in uh, Go Go Driver, you have Jack listening to the Blade Runner soundtrack, right? The yeah. Angeles. That's um, it. Yeah, Blade yeah. Blade Runner soundtrack is that a way of understanding the characters through through these songs?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think. Um because again, when I was riding around between all these jobs you know you because of all writers and you know we're just daydreamers really and you fantasize and you mythologize a city and yourself as a kind of character in it just to just to relieve the boredom as well you know mm. and you'd you'd- I'd imagine songs because I never really listen to podcasts and when I'm riding, i mean it's dangerous anyway or music <laughs> but i um I didn't like it anyways kind of a bit too much um stimulus you know so i would sort of imagine songs i think quite a lot or even like sort of sing to myself slightly mad but um but i'd imagine yeah different you know different and because there's such different zones in london each zone has a flavor and each zone has a as a soundtrack i think Mm. and to me the old kent road and yeah all the depots and i mean i think because he's from there as well like it it makes total sense like he made it for inspired by it but yeah it's just the perfect perfect choice um with it because burial aspect you get this sort of texture of because he was always and mark fisher talks about that a lot and he's always saying uh you know it's a sort of um haunted future that never happened sort of yeah. in, the, in the echoes of the rave culture which was very positive mm. It was all about like ecstasy and, and community and everyone moving forward in this future of brotherhood yeah. and that never really happened so like mm. burial is it's all about that sort of the failed echoes and sort of people coming down little screams and stuff on on the street and uh of these ravers who are lost, and these ghosts and uh, and the rain and stuff. and
1: Was Mark Fisher a, a big kind of reference point then? Because you, the, what yeah. you're describing right there is is you could say that about your plays, right? There's this, you know, delivery drivers or Uber drivers. In one side, it's this technological advancements, right? You know, we can get a, a car or a meal in five minutes and it promises this utopia. And mm. then the reality is obviously so much less than what we might expect is Mm. there i mean is hauntology whatever you want to call it is that something you think a lot about when you when you're writing or is it just something that ends up making its way into your into your work
2: oh no definitely i think um I think the Mark Fisher, he really, he really, and it had been talked about before, you know, mm. this idea of hauntology. He wasn't the first one to sort of coin it, but he was the first to, so I guess, make it, open it up a bit. So, so all these goldsmith students basically were like, <laughs> you know, carry the torch of it. And he only just became more and more relevant, you know, as it went on. And he, mm. and effectively he's just talking about sort of the weirdness of now and, and all those elements and hauntology was part of that. But he made it sort of accessible and he talks in a very accessible way. So not, you know, you don't have to be, study philosophy to understand it and I really like that it was broad and really pinpointed it you know that feeling thing is that we live in you know we live in a culture where it's we're constantly ghosting things all the time we're just sort of a copy of a copy of a copy
1: and there's lots of reference to ghosts and angels and stuff in your yeah in Rainer as well which I exactly. presume is, is part of that too yeah. totally
2: you know and like Rainer to me is is not even so much about a, a sort of delivery rider who's been exploited by the system although that is part of it it's more the character and her daydreaming, because she's sort of pretending in a way that she's in Taxi Driver or or she's you know Blade Runner or something mm. like that, and she's inventing her own narrative.
0: But in terms of scope, then of the the two projects, so Reina was a one-woman <laughs> show, yeah. Whereas now Ghost City will be a plethora of characters. So yeah. was that a conscious decision on your part then to, to you know bring more characters into your work, or did it happen quite
2: naturally? It happened quite naturally but i think there's there's um you know it's done i like the idea that it's three core gig workers but it's called Go city you know it's like the whole you know tons of different roles of of so it connects to sort of um because you know the gig economy is such a nebulous term you know it's so so sort of ambiguous you know it's like it could mean lots of things you know so many things are sort of you know gig like you've got the chew string you've got like task rabbit or just all lots of jobs are slipping into a kind of gig economy state so it's sort of. We're reach we're going into a strange area now where it's hard to like quantify it all and it's sort of hard to it's like the internet really. It's hard to put where the boundaries are and where like I wanted to have a broad depiction of all of that really. As well as lots of all the characters they kind of meet and sort of just make a sort of big portrait of the city. I think I just had a lot more to say about those jobs and the gig economy after Rainer kind of thing. But after that I think I'll stop for a bit talking about it. <laughs> I don't want to become a one man <laughs>
1: Would, yeah. you ever write a place, would you ever write a place outside of london no no
0: <laughs> never i've <laughs>
1: never left london you know I've never even... <laughs> you've never really been outside
2: the m25 <laughs> no we went know. to Lincoln. <laughs> i went to lincoln i went you to lincoln i went to lincoln for a weekend up. and i nearly had a yeah, panic he was great but i had to leave
0: he was running back to london just yeah.
2: get me back down the a1 <laughs>
1: yeah Now it's time to do our literary dilemma. So this is the segment where we ask the writers and guests on the podcast <coughs> a question that you guys, our listeners, have sent in relating to issues you're facing in your writing. And we do encourage them, you know, to be as kind of silly and bizarre as, uh, as possible. Um, so, yeah, keep sending them in via Google Forms. The link is in our Instagram bio and at Twitter. So today's question, Max, our listener yeah. asks, I write professionally, uh, but also keep a personal journal. In my professional writing, I avoid using the first person. But I wonder if this holds me back from more powerful storytelling. How do you navigate the choice to write about your own personal experience or to write about characters that aren't just a version of yourself? So I thought, mm, a really interesting good. question in regards yeah. to your writing, which clearly mm. comes from a huge personal experience with the City of London. You know, you're not mm. writing plays about Lincolnshire uh, yet. <laughs> um, you know, so h- how do you navigate that? Is that something you think about? That's a really,
2: really good question. I think it's the eternal question as well, isn't it? Like, you know, write what you know. Um, which is just silly, and it's one of those old sort of generalisations, maxims in writing that is just, um, you know, of course, don't write what you know, because then it just, I mean, just what you know, because, yeah, as you say, you'd just be a sort of version of yourself all the time. As I say, you know, I was sort of, I guess, you know, always interested and had quite a a mixed upbringing and, and all the jobs, as I said before, but, you know, so you did meet a lot of characters. But I think, you know, I think that's the... Put yourself out there as much as you can. Try to have as many different experiences as you can, and 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 mix with different people. And so you can write about other characters while putting elements of yourself in there, because that's when you'll really love your characters as well. If you can really put a little bit of yourself in there. But yeah, d- you know, it is. It's definitely a hard, hard question. But I think, I think, and just look around you and and the people that you know and your family and stuff like that, and try to and try to write about other people. I think there is a lot of, there are a lot of films or literature when they are just sort of an avatar for themselves and it's sort of debating what
1: to get the farmer's market or something like that you know Mm. like
2: or uh (laughs) not you know but it's quite just sort of i think yeah try to open up more
1: i suppose if you're writing even if you're writing about people you know yeah part of yourself comes across in the stories regardless right because you're the person writing it so
2: of course i mean the whole thing about like fiction is just it's still just it's just a bit of your brain it's mm. just effectively a viewpoint, really. And all these characters are just part, they're just ideas, really. It's all you, it's all mm. just a bit of your soul. So it's like, you know, keep that varied, you know, be open to all sorts of people and interests and stuff like that. And then that will pour into your work. It was the same time as, you know, like I'm writing a, my, a new play of mine, which will be at the Arcola, by the way, in summer, just <laughs> plug, plug that. Uh, that's about a property developer who run, is running on the canal. And she's having a breakdown basically and she's uber successful and she's the type of person i you know i don't mix with that much <laughs> but i know someone a bit like it yeah of course and again she's not a villain she's not a, you know because we like to say like evil business people yeah, whatever yeah. like it's not that at all she's not a you know she's not a monster she's just a person really so it's like you can't, like human- you can't well. hate your own
1: characters right i mean that's yeah not very well exactly right you love writing.
2: love all your characters exactly yeah. even especially the, the bad ones so she's not you know she's not like an evil person but she's i've taken elements of people i've known and put her into her and then put myself into her as well mm. so i think that's it you know try to be open and, and put yourself into things but try to mix the characters i would say
0: One last final question yes we'd like to ask just to wrap this up yeah we'd love to hear what was the last great thing you've read or watched lately what would you really recommend to our listeners
2: that's, yeah, I think, because um, I stopped sort of reading novels and uh, just read sort of plays and watch films and stuff, um, but I've tried to start more now. And uh, one, yeah, my good old friend, Matt Turner, who's been here, he's been here before. He has. He? He's, he yeah. and can show. I? Yes. Yeah, can
0: I just say, though, with his dilemma, I have something to pick, okay. pick on that, because right. He claimed that he always likes to turn up at events early. That's yes. that's his advice to, to meet other uh, writers. It doesn't
2: seem that but early to no, me No,
0: every event <laughs> I've been mean to. Does he not practice his, what he preaches. No, he I've never know. seen that. Well, I just found that a bit
2: odd. I'm, I'm, look, I'm defending, I'm defending <laughs> that. Not his punctuality, but his, his book taste. Because, yeah, he recommended me um, a few books, actually. But this last one, yeah, uh, he died with his eyes open. It's by Derek Raymond. It's crime fiction, but it's really beautifully written it's horrible it's really grim set in the 80s and uh it's brilliant it's like i haven't i haven't been able to you know quite quite put a book down for like years i can't remember and it, this is just genius and it's still crime fiction but that's why i like like just pumping all the different themes tons of stuff about london south london especially anyway i really recommend it's horrible um <laughs> you've got to have a strong stomach for it but it's mm-hmm. great and then it's chinese films i've been getting into there's a really good director and he wants to get in modern chinese film A taste of sin it's called touch of sin anyway he's mm-hmm. great he's really good
0: well we'll put it in the show notes
2: uh. yeah <laughs> yeah sorry yeah you know but anyway he's brilliant and if you want to i think and he's functional he's like, as well <laughs> <I think. laughs> he's very functional yeah. anyway that's that's what i've yeah those those two <laughs> things okay. Great, yeah lovely
0: thanks max um yeah pleasure and yeah thank you all for listening max's death of a go-go driver is available to read online and in our latest issue which is available to buy on our website you can find us on instagram at the london magazine on twitter at the london mag and on facebook it's the london magazine thank you max and thank you yeah pleasure listening
1: thank you max